Mm. Hello again. Uh, I feel it's only appropriate to start this recording with a series of awkward pauses and ums. Um. Ah. I don't know. I listened to the last one and you know, when you do something for the first time, it's quite natural that you don't sound like professional. Um especially as I'm kind of feeling my way through this, I'd like to be more prepared and hopefully at some point I will be more prepared. But I'm kind of just going off the cuff right now. And yeah, I recognize that I would like there to be less ums and pauses. Um, <laughs> but I can't seem to stop doing it. So we'll just, um, we're just going to get through this. I haven't recorded anything in a month or so. This episode was meant to be um, about my own religious history because I do want the religious aspect to be, you know, a big part of what I'm doing here. But I think that I, I want to talk about what's been going on for the last few weeks. And I think that if I do that, that'll be a good segue into more of the the mental health part of what I want to talk about. <laughs> so, I don't know. We'll get to the religion stuff, I guess. And, and maybe, maybe we'll get there. I mean, maybe this is just a rough draft. Maybe you're not going to hear this. Um, last few weeks have been rough. I get into these long confusing funks where I keep myself inundated with constant stimulus for I don't know I mean hours days you know day, days turn into weeks um, I start to feel like a completely insane person I, I start to think about doing something something dramatic and I, I don't mean I don't mean suicide um, but I, I'll start looking at plane tickets to you know various exotic countries or um, I'll start looking at ads for uh, different vans or rvs like if i could just go go live in the woods somewhere somewhere where all these sources of stimulus aren't available to me um then maybe i'd be okay and of course i start thinking about my my friends and my family and um my, my home, my dog, like everything that I would leave behind. I guess I wouldn't leave my dog behind in that. Well, in some, if I went to Nepal again or something, then 
I probably would leave my dog behind. So, I don't know. So I end up, I end up staying. Um, but the, this, the, this when, I, when I say like, I get trapped in this constant sort of stimulus binge, what that looks like is, um, you know, scrolling the phone, you know, obsessive video game playing, um, you know, masturbation. Now, I feel like that's an interesting topic because there's still, I don't want to say there's a taboo, but there is a, I, I feel shame. I feel shame talking about it, you know, um, masturbating too much. Problematic masturbation is a, is episode two. Here I am talking about my own problematic masturbation to no one. No one's listening. If anyone listens to this, it'll be a close friend. So... And here I am telling them about my my problematic masturbation. It's it's kind of par for the course for me though. Anybody who knows me well enough knows that I'm a I'm an oversharer, and I will I will trap you and um, tell you about my horrible problems. You know, back when I used to do drugs, like other people would uh, take ecstasy and go and dance, and I would I would take ecstasy and get sad and sit down and wait for somebody to sit next to me so that I could tell them about all my horrible problems. And, um, well, over-masturbation's one of them. So <laughs> you get to, you get to hear about that. Yeah, so I'll, so I will though, I'll, I'll just, I'll sit there and, you know, I'm 37. Uh, I think that I should behave like an adult, but... I'll spend whole days just playing video games and masturbating and, and with a, always with a vague sense of, oh, I'd like to, you know, there's something that needs to be done. There's a, the house needs to be clean. There's a podcast. I want to work out. I want to engage with reality. Um, but I mean, I started the stimulus binge to escape from something, and once I'm in it, it feels like the thing that I want to escape from is just has has gotten larger and larger and more and more. You know, the the thing is the state of my whole life, you know, and the reason that my life feels fucked up is because I do these, you know, rather than attending to my life. Um, I run for it, run from it. And then when I'm spending another day like that, I go, oh, well, this is the same thing that you've been doing since you were, I don't know, 10 years old, eight years old, five years old, you know, just, uh, you're still in the same patterns. There's no sign that you're breaking it or changing this pattern. And so it, it, 
I, I, I continue to feel the need. I, I need to keep running. You know, once you start running, just keep, just keep running. You know, back when I was um, also smoking weed and, and drinking, then I would, I would just, you know, I, I'm the kind of person that gets paranoid when I get high or, I, I don't know, the word paranoid has never felt perfect to me. It's more like, um, just a sense of impending doom every you know i'll get high and every area of my life um and anything i think on just gets colored in the in the blackest bleakest possible tone so so i used to i used to do that too and then i would drink and then by the time i was drinking i would also feel you know, very just very stupid. Like my my thoughts would get a lot simpler. I would become animalistic. Um, often, standing at the refrigerator. I, I might have talked about this in the last episode, but the episodes of just standing in front of the refrigerator. Uh, you know, picking at whatever raw ingredients. You know, a piece of cheese, piece of meat, um, peanut butter, just. Just, just, but in in this like speed, sped up, frenzied way, like a raccoon eating through the contents of my kitchen, leaving the leaving wreckage like a raccoon too. You know, <laughs> not throwing anything away, not attending to anything. I mean, it, it almost looks like. Um, I guess it doesn't look as bad in my in my house as if a family of raccoons lived here, as opposed to myself i do keep the shit in the toilet and flush it i don't think the raccoons would do that there isn't a pervasive um piss smell Uh, but i had a friend once walk into one of my bedrooms one of these depression chambers and um she just said that it didn't look like uh anything that a human would do like she said, it just looked like I had arranged the objects in a completely random order that had nothing to do with with logic, and and that's I, I had though, you know. I mean, that is that is how I do it. I I just I'm just in the when I talk about being constantly in the stimulus binge, I mean constantly. I mean literally constantly you know if i have to go take a shit then um you know the phone the phone comes with me if um you know i have to drive somewhere then you know maybe maybe i have to go for a podcast or something um but i'll i'll stay in it i, I wake in the morning and i'll have you know, some kind of fantasy already playing in my mind before I've reached um, any any real any real kind of consciousness, and so that's that's what's been going on for I don't know a month, something like that. I mean, I get I get myself to work. You know, I'm um, bartending and waiting tables and stuff at different places right now. And I go and do that, and I don't know, people seem to think that 
I I come off as normal. I, I think that um, I do have an easier time making that transition now that I'm not also drinking and smoking. But it's... I almost wish that they could see it. You know, that's that's the other weird thing is I feel like I'm... Like, I'm totally, you know, when I, when I think about how I'm living, I feel like um, I wish someone would just, like, come and get me and uh, put me in a hospital or something. And then I go to work, and um, I smile, and I small talk, and everyone seems to think I'm okay, even close friends, you know, and, and, and I maintain my relationships, too. I'll set up times to meet up with people, and we'll go and get get food or, or go for a bike ride or a walk or whatever and sometimes we talk about this stuff a little bit but I, I, I never see like, feel like anyone has any sense of you know what's what's really going on um, even if I tell them it's like I I don't know. I I present myself as a sane, functional person, and they accept me as such. Or or maybe um, maybe they they know on some level. Or maybe they, they maybe maybe they they just don't think that uh, it could be as bad as I'm making it out to be. Because I think when I show up to to lunch or dinner or whatever we're doing. Um, They, they, the, the version of myself I present to them, they really believe. I don't know. Or, I don't know, sometimes you know your friends are, are hopeless, but they're still your friends. Yeah, and so you just make the best of the time that you have with them. I had this friend, um, I always thought that he was like me, but a little worse off. Um, he had the same, you know, you go to his house and it's just the most filthy, disgusting shit you've ever seen in your life. And, um, he's always talking about these creative endeavors that he wants to do. He's always telling you about the book he's going to write or whatever, but, um, you know that he's just going to take Adderall and drink coffee and smoke cigarettes and jerk off and listen to Radiohead and drive around and, and, and act like an asshole. <laughs> like, uh, you know, he's not going to write any, any book. Um, cause he can't, I don't know. May, maybe I could see him more clearly than others could because I have the same kind of shit going on, but, um, I don't know. I never really thought that he would get any better and he didn't you know he actually he just got worse he went schizophrenic and eventually got into a a car accident and died I, I don't know i don't know whether to think of it as suicide or not but so i want i want to be honest you know i'm i'm hoping that this space this airspace can be a, a space of honesty and that is honestly my my life 
you know, most of my life has been like this. The earliest, you know, one one of my one of my earliest memories when I was I don't know. I mean, how do you how do you know how old you were? It was definitely before school. I was definitely like a very small person. Um I had this habit of picking my nose and eating, eating the boogers. Uh, let's say I was six years old and my parents didn't want me to keep doing this. You know, this was, it was a bad habit. It was gross. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like they presented it in a really dark way. Like I... I don't remember exactly what was said, but I, I came away with the impression from whatever they had said about it that um, if I didn't quit picking my nose, um, my life would be ruined. I would have a horrible, bad life, and no one would love me if I couldn't quit picking my nose. And so I would make these deals with my fingers. Like, you guys have got to stop. You know, like... I guess, I don't know when I was offering them, but I would beg them to stop, and I would promise myself that I was going to stop. I would make these firm decisions that I would never, ever pick my nose again. And then my fucking fingers would just creep up and start digging around. And... I would feel the the most intense sense of shame and failure about it. Um, and that only, you know, the, the behaviors themselves transformed. Um, but there was always something like that in my life. You know, there was, uh, there was, the idea, you know, when I would come home from school, by the time I was in, like, middle school, let's say, um, or, or even, like, late elementary school, my my dad was, was gone, um, and so my mom was working at a restaurant, so she's working in the evenings. Um, I had a babysitter for a while, but... Uh, you know, once she was once she was out of the picture too, I would come home to this empty trailer, and I would know that I just had a couple of things that I needed to do before I could get on with enjoying myself. Um, so, because I mean, being home alone. I mean, maybe maybe not the most ideal situation, but it was a lot better than anything else I had going on in my life. I mean. Um, school was, school was really awful for me. Uh, I just couldn't, I couldn't control myself. I couldn't control the fucking nose picking shit. I had, I did, I had all these like attention seeking behaviors and then I eventually got way too much attention and, um, I would get really angry and get in fights and I, I, I really, by the time I was, um, any, I don't know, the whole, the whole time pretty much, I, I just had the impression that my my peers sort of not universally but 80% of my peers kind of hated me 
Um, I felt I felt like they were my enemies, and so so it was very stressful to be at school. So so come home, and I would be like, all right. So I'm supposed to do some kind of homework. You know, they give you worksheets and different things, and but I can never. Well, I don't know if, how much how often I actually looked for the worksheets, but I couldn't find them. If I did, I my, my brain didn't uh, stay organized like that to um, actually get them home without being all crumpled up to be able to. So just finding the homework was a challenge that most of the time. I either didn't bother with, or if I did, I, or or I just failed at. I just I would go looking for it and I couldn't find it. Um, and then so so there was the homework thing, and then I would have some kind of a chore. You know, I'm supposed to vacuum, or I'm supposed to dust, or something like that. And you know, this is just a, a trailer. Um, none of these chores would probably take any longer than fifteen minutes or so. But I couldn't. I, I I don't know. I didn't. You know, didn't didn't and couldn't. Is this something that is happening to me or something that I'm doing? That that's been like one of the central questions of this whole situation my whole life, and I don't. I still don't have a good answer. But. So, so instead of doing the chore or the homework, um, I would just get to fucking off pretty much immediately. And I, I did have uh, friends, so you know sometimes I would be like fucking off with my friends, and that felt better. That felt like uh, I don't know so, somehow more natural or normal, but. Um, a lot of times I was just, like, I, I had StarCraft and Diablo. You know, the two two big classic Blizzard games. And believe it or not, you could play online with a 56k internet connection pretty effectively. Like, it, it was pretty fun to play online. I don't know. It seems like with how long it would take to um, load, like, an image or something. Like, that should have been impossible, but... It was it was totally possible to play those games um, with people, and it was it was kind of a blast. But I would I would sit there and and play, but I couldn't I couldn't I could never like truly maybe for the first hour or two when it's you know I've come home from school, so now it's three thirty four thirty five thirty. Okay, I'm gonna stop doing this and do the chore or the homework or whatever but i've seen this this movie before even you know at that age i i knew that there was something going on with me that was going to probably make that impossible and it and it would be and so it would be 6:30 7:30 8:30 8:30, you know, 9:30. Okay, my mom's going to come home soon and uh maybe I'll run. You know, like okay, she's going to be home, I think in about 8 minutes. So I'll run and grab the vacuum cleaner and vacuum in this like incredibly stressful, frenzied 
you know, half-assed kind of way. And if she asked me if I did my homework, I'll just say yes. You know, that's that was that was one thing. I could always just like say that I had done it. Um Yeah, and I remember she would come home and a lot of times I would like my my heart is pounding from whatever chore I've done or, or whatever and uh but I would run into my bed and I would just like act I would just play possum. I would just act like I was asleep. I really I think I really wanted some kind of human contact with her, you know, just to have like a little chat with her at the end of the day, but I felt like I needed to hide. So I would so I would hide from her. And then up into the next one, um repeating cycles over and over again. And you know, now 37. And it all it all feels so similar. I don't have like the horrible thing anymore. You know, school was was the horrible thing. It was the trial. I suppose that anytime I punch a clock, there's a part of me that still feels that way. Like it is this um torture to endure. But objectively, you know, no one is no one is mean to me. Um, I have agency. I could leave if I wanted to. I, I feel sense of competency when I'm at work. Um, so it's not, it's not the same, but my, my body, I guess, still thinks that it's the same thing. And so then when I finish, I get to go home. I, I just want to... I just want to let go. I just want to abandon myself to, yeah, to to stimulus, to something. Um, I think in those moments, what I really want is like to be held. But you know, I I live alone. I haven't had a, a partner in a really long time because I because I because I'm really doing this all the time. I, I think that that's like I really want to like hammer down on that. Um, anytime that I'm that I'm not um, in this video games porn. It's not really porn, but video games, sexual stuff. Uh, scrolling youtube um netflix let's just let's just that's the main body of it anytime that i'm not in that when i am alone and i'm alone a lot is like a miracle like this that's happening right now feels semi-miraculous i'm recording this at 9 30 in the morning woke up around 8 today um and i managed to get myself out the door go for a walk drink my drink my morning coffee um 
and I, I feel human again. I didn't I didn't feel human much yesterday or the day before or the day before. Yeah, I haven't haven't felt I haven't taken a good human breath in a few weeks now, and I I think that that's the That's the thing that I really want understood. Is that it's it's constant. You know, when I when I look at it, I I really feel like I need to be like hospitalized or something. I, I'm always looking at like rehab scenarios. I I know this is fucked up and, and, and not actually um justified, but a lot of times I'll feel a sense of jealousy towards alcoholics or drug addicts because they have these rehabs and I just so badly want to go to rehab because it feels impossible to break these addictions on my own um yeah I mean I've got the I'm looking at the computer right now the little audio bar thing filling up and um you know undulating when i'm when i'm from when i'm speaking to when i'm not the the technology is all around me um i've come to think of my cell phone as the the black triangle of death and i try to keep it away from myself when i'm in the house i try to never never have a scenario where um, I'm sitting down and it's within reach. Um, because once I, once I grab that thing and I start looking at, once I start fucking around on it, um, literally the, the whole day will be gone. I'll, I'll feel, I'll, I'll feel raccoon-like by, by evening and I, I know it's going to go that way. I guess I was saying something about why I don't have a like a girlfriend, <laughs> you know, like what? No, I don't think you know. I've had I've had relationships, and um, I still play out these patterns while I'm in the relationships, and um, you know, the, like a, a relationship can't really survive that. It uh, it so just does. I guess it just doesn't feel worth it to me to try to find a relationship, um, unless I'm making some progress in this area of my life. Because why would I, why would I want to invite someone into this? You know, I feel like I would, I would just need to hide this from them. Like, like I do. I you know, I talk about it sometimes with my close friends, but they're, and and I'm talking about it now in this very public kind of way. But it feels very hidden. It feels it's this secret life, and I guess I'm, I guess I'm good at keeping it a secret, in it in a way. And so I feel like what I would do if I was like really actively trying to date is I would just present um, this idealized part of, version of myself. And hope that somebody buys it. And then I would think, like, well, maybe their 
presence will be the thing that that heals the situation and i won't i won't keep acting this way you know i'll become the version of myself that i present to them um and and maybe maybe some maybe some version of that can happen uh like a little bit i think that that does happen a little bit people do go out into the world show the show the best version of themselves um and then and then begin to embody that i i think it can but but it can't happen in this like wholehearted like uh or you know you know like i'm i'm in this like full-on depression addiction spiral um it will it will have an effect on things and like I said, I've seen it a couple of times now, and I don't want to see that again. Um, so I just live here alone. And I, I get home from work, and... Some part of me is... just so fucking lonely and sad and scared and I just grab the phone or turn on the xbox and I just try to outrun it I always felt like I was supposed to be doing something something like this, something creative. Um, writing or speaking in some way. And there's a lot of shame around, like, I should be better at it by now. You know, I should have a body of work by now. This This should almost be, like past my prime by now and here I am trying to do this and I feel like a beginner you know I'm still learning Chuck Palahniuk said that you do your best writing it I think he said 31 I think he said most authors will write their best book at 31 um he wrote Fight Club when he was 31 and he, he listed a bunch of examples I don't know where to go with this. That's the truth, though. I do want to talk. I do want to start to talk about the religious stuff. Um, like I like I said before, there was a time when I was trying to, to be a pastor. You know, I think that um, some of the the um, pastors at my church saw that potential in me and um i got to do some preaching but you know i've always been doing this shit though i've always been in a spiraling uh, stimulus 
binging depression. So it becomes very difficult to be a fucking pastor or, you know, really to get anything done. You have to like, like I, I, I feel so strongly that most of the good things in life are the fruit of, of hard work. Um, and I just, you just can't work hard at anything other than running from your, from your demons when you're running from your demons that hard. So maybe maybe that's some good context for how the religious stuff happened. You know, when I eventually, you know, at 15, I, I found myself in this church basement and or not it wasn't a church basement. It was a dude it was a dude's basement. Um it was just this this guy he had been a youth pastor at another church and they had had some kind of split but he like took the youth group with him or like started his own or something like that and so uh he had this basement in taylor and once a week on wednesdays all these teenagers i want to say like a hundred teenagers um a lot of a lot of whom's parents didn't go to church you know these weren't uh originally uh, these weren't kids from Christian families. Um, they We would go to this guy's house and leave all our shoes on the porch. I used to think that the, you know, the hundreds of shoes on the porch were really beautiful. And go down into the basement and uh, sing these these songs to this God that felt so so intimate and in the the attitude was that like that God very badly wanted to heal us and that we just needed to accept that healing and that there was something wrong with us you know that we had a, we had a sinful nature and and all of that i was just like well yeah <laughs> you know like yeah i can si- i can see inside myself um that i'm a that i'm a sinner i had so much anger in me so much selfishness i think that one thing is when you feel really deprived all the time when whenever um anything does present itself whether it's yeah, Diablo or donuts or attention or what you just want to really, really grab it, really take as much as you can get your your grubby little hands on. And I, I knew that about myself. I knew I was, I had become really selfish and, and really angry. I mean, I got in a lot of fights. That's another thing. Mean, we haven't gotten into that part of it yet but i had i had this history of of um violence and i i don't know if i'd ever examined my inner world quite like that before though when they started to talk about the sinfulness the story that 
And so, so actually, the first thing that I ever did with that church, I didn't go to the the guy's basement the first time. The first time they were having this like Halloween party, and um, my friend Jackie invited me. Uh, she was someone who I worked with at the Mexican restaurant. I was also yeah, this is another part. Even in high school, I was doing this like shitty work this restaurant work. I don't know why I even felt like I needed money at the time. Um, you know, my mom provided food at the house. I don't know. I, I had food and shelter. I don't know what else I thought I needed so badly that I would uh, spend all this time at this Mexican restaurant um, in high school. But I but I did that. You know, and that felt kind of like torture too. So it was just like torture into torture. You know, because I'd work. I'd go to school and then I'd work. I don't what the fuck I was thinking I, I could have just not done that anyway uh where the fuck where am I going with this shit um oh right so Jackie uh who also worked in Amigos had invited me to go to this this party I knew that it was like a religious thing and I was already an ardent atheist at that point but i wasn't really being invited to a lot of shit you know so i so i went and i just it was the coolest thing ever the the kids there were so nice to me and i just i just had never experienced that i just only expected animosity from my peers which I can't imagine made me into the most pleasant person to be around. But these kids were so fucking cool. Um, I remember this really nice girl from my school, uh, Felicia, came up to me and asked me if she could put gel in my hair. And she just like stood there and uh, spiked my hair. Which that was, um, so this would have been like 2001. So the spiked hair was very popular at the time. I don't know. It was just this funny little intimate thing. I don't, they're, you know, they, they say like from um, chimp times that we sort of crave being uh, groomed by women. (laughs) Like. Or, or that, and to do the, just this like this like casual touch, and I, I don't know, it just set me so at ease. Um, there were some older guys that were like asking me about my life and stuff. I say older, they were like you know, eighteen, nineteen, twenty years old. Um, I was, I was in a. The other thing I was doing at the time was I was, I was in this play. Um, at school, which is a whole other thing. I don't know. It's like this whole other, this like branching part of my life. What if I had, um, instead of going with the religious kids, what if I had stayed with the theater kids? But they they were like asking me about the play and, um, oh, when can we go see it? It was very strange. And all this friendliness was like, literally, I, I didn't quite know how to process it. I knew that some part of me internally was was being touched by it and wanted to like feed off of it but um i had no context for it i never experienced anything like that before and so we 
I don't know. We hung out a while. Um, we played some. We played some youth group games, and then uh, finally, they started singing these songs that were confusing to me. I had never really heard worship songs, um, but I noticed that like the the other kids there seemed to be, or at least a lot of them, seemed to be really singing these songs. Um, it felt like whatever the lyrics were, that a lot of them authentically meant the the lyrics. I remember there was one song in particular. Uh, let me see. I'll just pull it up. Let's see. Um, I think it was called This Is Our God. Hmm. No, there's too many fucking songs called This Is Our God. This isn't uh, the one that I'm coming up with. Ah, here we go. The original, the Chris Tomlin, This Is Our God, not the Hillsong, This Is Our God. Especially since we know those Hillsong people are fuckers now, right? I feel like, what? I want the lyrics. Oh, there it is. Okay, so, yeah, they're singing this song, and, and the lyrics go... Um, Uh, A refuge for the poor, a shelter from the storm, this is our God. And he will wipe away your tears and return your wasted years, this is our God. So call upon his name, he is mighty, say, this is our God. A father to the orphan, a healer to the broken, this is our God. He brings peace to our madness and comfort in our sadness, this is our God. This is the one we've waited for. This is the one we've waited for. Uh, and, well, fuck, I wanted that. You know, all of that spoke to me uh, pretty hard. But I was an atheist, <laughs> you know, I didn't, didn't believe this bullshit, and they kind of they fucking sprang it on me, you know, they invited me to a goddamn Halloween party, they didn't tell me any of this was going to be happening, so it was a conflicted moment. And then this guy, the pastor, Jeremy, he gets up on stage and he starts telling us about our, about God, you know, about, about his God. Um, and, and he starts talking about our sin nature and he says that, you know, I'll, I'll never forget the, um, the image that he painted for us. Cause he, he said that, uh, he said that in the Bible, and I still, I don't really know where it says this in the Bible. I read most of the Bible during my, my Christian years. I think, um, you know, during like the later old Testament, I started to kind of lose steam. So maybe this is in that part. But um, he says that God says that his holiness is like a blank white sheet and that, that stretches, you know, an infinite. Imagine a, a hanging white sheet, but you look to the left and it goes on forever and to the right and it goes on forever and up and down and you get the idea. Um, and it's it's the purest, whitest thing that you could ever see. There's not a speck of dust or darkness or blemish. And that our sheet, 
is like a woman's used menstrual cloth. It's this bloody rag. But he said specifically a woman's used menstrual cloth. Apparently that's the image in the Bible. Uh, assuming Jeremy got it right, and I, I do assume that. And that that image, it, it really st- stuck with me. I remember talking to um, this other this other kid um, who had happened to attend that first night, the way that I attended that first night, and he was really offended. <laughs> you know, he was really like, "This place is fucked up, man. This is some kind of cult." And uh, you know, in a in a way, he was right. But one, I wasn't about to abandon this group of really fucking nice people the first people who were ever being like really nice to me um you know i was i was hooked on that and i guess i didn't really know if there was a a god or not but i felt like i don't know i guess i guess bloody rags is an interesting one because there's something gross about a bloody rag right uh I don't necessarily think that it's better for, I don't know, there to be a big white sheet versus a big bloody sheet. I don't know. I don't know, but something, blackness. That's what I saw inside myself was all this blackness. And I needed to keep thinking about it but i did resist uh going back to the the church i I think i think maybe my atheism was just there it was pretty strong i i did really there was some part of me that was that really felt like it was all very irrational for one thing um and then also you know i had grown up not religious but my my family had like a vague catholicism and i ha- i remember there had been this time when um this kid um my friend my friend alan had told me maybe it was ian i don't know it was one of one of my one of my childhood friends had told me that um you know if you're not baptized then you go to hell that's just like how it works and that's that's what we believe and if you're catholic it's what you believe and i was like oh god really um actually forced my grandpa my grand my grandpa and um and his wife we called her grandma too so one one set of the grandparents to baptize me i remember i had asked i had explained my situation of i don't want to go to hell um because I understand that it is a perpetual state of being on fire, and I would like to avoid that. So I, so I was like, Grandpa, you have to baptize me. And he was like, well, we'll, we'll set it up with the church, you know. Um, I was like, okay, well, like, when's that going to happen? And he was like, well, you know, it could, could, take, could take a few weeks to, to get that organized. And I was like, fuck no, Grandpa. Like, we're talking about 
you know, I'm, I'm only meant to live for 70, 80, 90 years. And if I happen to die, if we get into a, you know, a fucking snowmobile accident or something, which we probably will with the reckless snowmobiling we were doing up there, then I'm going to spend forever. I'm going to spend an indefinite, unfathomable length of time on fire and that's not okay with me let's get this done right now and so uh grandma and and grandma too went and or grandpa and grandma too went and got the the washcloth and um they had wrung it out on my forehead and uh said something about jesus and after that i was like all right i'm good i'm good um but then like a year that i was probably six seven no no i was a little older than that let's call let's let's say i was 10 years old for that episode um when i was 12 13 something like that um we had gotten the internet and a friend of mine wanted to look at spells he probably probably was trying to cast some kind of love or lust spell on one of the girls almost almost certainly that's what his interest was in um and since my house was the one with the internet uh we found this spell and i realized though i was like wait a second i think i'm not supposed to be doing this i think i'm like a christian um i think it says stuff in the bible about like not doing this stuff and it and, and so because of the spell, I really had to think about, you know, do I actually believe this? You know, I had just taken it for granted. I had just, I had just been told I was Catholic and then somebody told me what that meant and I went, oh shit. And I really acted on that belief, even if I had never even considered really what that belief was and if it meant anything to me, um, but the spell made me think about it, and I did. I thought about it, and I really, again, it, it was about this this whole hell situation, um, and it, the the version of Christianity that I knew about was one where if you don't believe in Jesus Christ and apparently get fucking baptized, then um, you go to hell, and it doesn't matter if you are. Chinese or Indian or, you know, if um, your culture doesn't have Christianity as its base, uh, apparently God doesn't make any special exceptions for that. And I, I realized that I had been held at gunpoint, you know, believe this, do these things or else. And I just thought, what? What kind of God would would do that? And I remember, I'm you know very intense. I was, I was a very fucking intense child, and I thought to myself, if God is like that, then fuck him. And I'd rather I'd rather be in hell than with all the with all the Chinese people than go to his goddamn exclusive resort in the sky, and. That's where my angry atheism came from. So, so I think the angry atheism 
was keeping me away from the church, but like I said, I had some good reasons to want to go back, and Jackie kept asking me to go, right? Um, and finally, she's calling me up because she's like, "Oh, I'm I'm playing in the in the band tonight, um, so I can pick you up on the way there." Uh, and I just, I, you know, I told her, you know what? No, I, I can't go to this thing because it's all. It's all bullshit, Jackie. And she she said to me, Adam, you're just afraid to think. And that was those were probably the magic words. I don't know if there were any if there was any other set of words, but I had been accusing her of closed mindedness and you know, all these Christians of, of closed mindedness, and I, I realized that I, I wasn't considering what they had to say you know that i had already made up my mind i was close-minded it really got me so next thing i know you know we're leaving our shoes on the porch and um i'm down in the basement and again the the kids are all really nice um eventually we got to the part where we're singing the singing the songs again and the the worship leader, this guy Matt, would would say things like, um, you know, if 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 you don't mean these words with all your heart, then I don't want you to sing. Um, it's not that you're bad or anything. It's just that we don't want to just say empty words. So why don't you just? sit and and maybe maybe you could talk to him maybe you could reach out in your mind and and just ask him to to reveal your reveal himself to you um and so i was just sitting watching watching all these people sing these songs and i realized i I had been very judgmental towards them and but while the the looks on their faces were they were the kindest warmest sweetest people i had ever met and here i am with my heart full of rage and want and i'm saying they're fucked up and i i knew that couldn't be right so i so i started to do the thing i I started to reach out to you know anybody out there whom you know if i close my eyes and just started speaking with the expectation that maybe someone maybe someone was listening um and 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 i said something like that like okay well god i don't know if if you're real or or what's going on here. Um, but if, if you are, I'd like to know. And I, I felt a subtle kind of, I don't, just a, a feeling that I had been heard. Perhaps there was a presence to feel. 
and that basement was it was a bit extraordinary you know i didn't i hadn't had any touch points within the church then but eventually but you know now now since i've seen so much of the church and i've seen what it's like and i, I don't know maybe it's just me but it all feels very dead usually uh but not not that basement it was you know they just had a couple of acoustic guitars um and a bass and they weren't the greatest singers you know this band um you know matt matt did a good enough job but the kids you know the hundred kids that were packed into this basement were would just i mean they would shake the house with the way that they they sang these songs um like they really meant them and and there was something powerful uh i remember so my first night that night when jackie had challenged me and um gotten my ass there there was this kid steve and it was his first night too and steve was like a bit of a bully you know he was um he was he was kind of big um kind of a wiry a big wiry kid and he was really strong um especially you know i think he was a senior and i was like a sophomore um so i hadn't started to turn into a you know i'd only just started to turn into a man whereas he seemed to be pretty much in his man body at that point and he would just like do shit like just like punch you in the shoulder just like suddenly punch like for no no known reason hit you so hard that your arm just like wouldn't work for a while he was just that kind of dude and just really mean <laughs> i don't know um and so steve so steve is there for some reason and steve is sobbing during the worship and you know so there's there's the worship and then uh jeremy gets up and gives some kind of a talk again about you know jesus or whatever and i don't i don't remember what was said that first night but uh at the end of it steve is is still just like turtled up and sobbing and all these kids everyone just kind of comes around him and and put their hands on him and hold him and he i don't something was happening with him i don't he wanted to be different and it seemed like somehow in that basement it was possible to be different there was some kind of power that was there that would actually um allow for transformation to occur and uh steve came over to me and he told me that he was sorry for how he had treated me and he hugged me and maybe that doesn't sound miraculous now but at the time i mean that was it was every every social rule was broken it was 
unbelievably unlike anything that I had ever experienced or felt was possible. So, of course, I kept coming back. And uh, eventually, I had my moment. You know, I, I said, you know, Matt would tell us not to sing if we didn't mean the words. And so I, I was sitting there one night in the group and I had been I had been asking God if he was real and feeling the subtle sensation of a of a warm hand on my chest and wanting so badly to experience whatever it was that these these kids were experiencing um and wanting to be good that was the thing I don't think I had ever seen goodness before and so that i i couldn't really covet goodness until i knew about it but now that i knew about it and i knew that i wasn't dead you know i could look inside i just knew uh no i am just pure selfishness and horniness and anger like i find very little within myself other than those things and uh but i wanted the goodness it was like there was some deep part of myself that knew i was meant for goodness and i wanted to connect with that part of myself i wanted it to be a a bigger part of myself and so they were you know they're singing these they're singing these songs and they they were singing this one in particular um if you remember the band Lifehouse so uh Lifehouse was actually um they had come from one of these church basements and you know a lot of their songs um they're, they're one famous song, like if, if you remember Lifehouse at all, it goes, uh, desperate for changing, starving for truth. You know, it's a, it's a Christian, it's a Christian song. And so they were singing, they had, they had this other song um, called Everything. Here, let's look this one up too. Lifehouse, Everything. Uh... I don't want to go through the whole thing, but they were singing this song. Um, you know, find me here and speak to me. I want to feel you. I need to hear you. Uh, you are the light that's leading me to the place where I find peace again. And I started to really, really want to sing this song with them. <laughs> um, but I wasn't going to sing unless I meant it. And so I, I closed my eyes and I started to pray and I said to God, um, I said something like, God, I don't care what you have to do to make me right with you. I don't care if you have to kill me. And I, I think I, I think I felt that so much of me was sin 
that to eliminate the sin would kill me. There wouldn't be any, there wouldn't just wouldn't be anything left to live. Um, so, but if you have to kill me, then kill me. But I, I want to be with you. And at that moment, after I said those words, this uh, blue light exploded from my chest, filled up my limbs, and it was the most loving sensation that I've ever felt. It was like, um, I felt like I was being held by the universe. Um, and I guess I, I realized that I, God hadn't killed me but he seemed he seemed to be saying you know yes to me the the song um says and how can i stand here with you and not be moved by you would you tell me how could it be and or any better than this and uh, you're all I want, you're all I need, you're everything, you're everything. And there, there couldn't have been a better, like, yes, I was, I was moved. And I, so I start just like, you know, yelling this song and I'm crying and flooded with joy. I don't know. Have you ever felt joy? It's been a long time for me, I think. Joy intense joy like that it it I don't know what to say about it, but I didn't know it was possible to feel like everything is right. At its, at its core, everything about reality is, is right and good. Um, and, and maybe joy is to, to stand in, in true appreciation of that fact. And after that, I was a I was a different person. You know, for a while. I mean, I was still built out of the same stuff, but now I had joy. And I found that whenever I reached out to this God, that same blue electric light of joy would just fill my whole body. Um and so I became calmer and kinder. 
and you know the the christians their their interpretation of this is you know they say this is that's what it that's what it it's to be filled with the holy spirit um and how how could i interpret how could i interpret the experience i was having any other way i mean they had told me that if i would um you know just reach out to jesus he would fill me with the holy spirit and this felt like a holy fucking spirit <laughs> you know like there was this thing inside of me that wasn't me um but it was making everything right and it was making me good that seemed like the holy spirit to me uh so i would you know i would uh i would look forward to bedtime they had these like cds they would let you borrow from their little library and they so i got the lifehouse cd and the, there was this reliant k band i, I guess they're famous you might have heard of reliant k right um and uh their early cd like really had a lot of songs that were just like purely like these worship songs and um i don't know maybe they still do now i don't you know listen to reliant k now but uh I would just, I would I would get I would go to my bed at night and I would put on these CDs and um and just sing in bed and and just be filled with this the this wonderful presence. I would go to school and I would I would talk to God throughout my day and um I remember There were lots of little things because, you know, school had been such a mean place. And so I would naturally get into, like, these, like, mean kind of habits or even just in, like, my, my thoughts. Like, I remember there was this kid, uh, Charlie, who we just, like, didn't like each other, me and Charlie. there We were in this class um, together and... Well, it was like geometry class and there were these two like really uh really cool girls that for some reason would sit with us it was me and charlie and kelly and megan they were both like pretty and cool and um you know they were enough for me and charlie to want to sit at a table together and uh but i remember charlie walking in to the class and I started to have some shitty thought about oh fuck here's fucking Charlie right and suddenly it was like it felt like God was just like Adam look how you're you're right like Charlie is mean he's like this very like mean-spirited miserly kid um but if he's like that why do you suppose he's like that and i i just realized that you know charlie like just hadn't been loved properly you know that like that was why i was so fucked up right was because i just hadn't been loved and and so i i was like my like heart was suddenly like broken for charlie i just wanted charlie to experience love and so I went over to him and I said, I said, like, Charlie, I, I love you. And I hugged him. And I don't know if he, like, pushed me off of him. 
<laughs> he was he definitely recoiled <laughs> you know he was like what the fuck is wrong with you dude um but for a while that was that was the kind of thing that was happening it was like this total revolution in my life and also i suddenly had all these friends all these all these kids came to my to my play um and and i had something to do it seemed like just about every night of the week um if i got a hold of the other the other kids from the youth group i had somewhere to go it was really incredible um but you know, I still, I had this habit. My, that that had also been the year I had started uh, jerking off. I, I I was really late to the game as far as that was concerned. Um, you know, I was like 15 and, but my, my habit had become, you know, that I would, I would go to school and then I would come home and I would, I would sit in front of the um, computer and masturbate, you know? <laughs> And it was interesting the way that having the Lord in me affected this. Because there were things like, um, the, the, just like the general feeling of it. Like there had, you know, I would be looking at some picture of, of some model or whatever, and... I would ha I would start to think about her, the human. Like I had never seen the. I had just been looking at um, skin before, but suddenly, rather than being a a sexual ideal or something, she was a person, and I would I would wonder about her and you know, why she was doing this, and if it was, what were her feelings, you know, was this a happy experience for her, or a sad one, or, I don't know, it kind of ruined it, right? And I realized that the sensation of the Lord being with me would go away while I was doing the, the masturbation. And then, you know, and then I would finish, and I'd be like, "Hey, God, what's uh, what's up, buddy?" <laughs> and he would like come back. You know, um, this went on, and and sometimes I wouldn't masturbate, um, but I mostly still did. It was a pretty entrenched habit, uh, and and then, sorry, I know I'm I'm like. I've been doing this for a while now. This is getting long. I don't know who's listening in an hour, 18 minutes. Um, but I feel like I've started to tell this story, so I might as well just tell it tell it to the end, and we can, we can call this one good. But uh, yeah, so as, as time went on, um, it started to be kind of a struggle. And I started to learn that there was like this Christian concept of sexual purity that I, I didn't really like purity. I didn't really know what it meant. <laughs> you know, I don't think that I'm not sure if anybody, if any of, of them really knew what they meant by those words either. Um, 
but apparently any sexual activity outside of marriage was kind of bad or fucked up um i i I think that when i when i thought about it i thought well it is kind of selfish you know i feel like god is his his seem his message seems to be just like surrender to me i'll take care of all your needs um you don't 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 try to fulfill your your needs yourself um i've got you i'm gonna satisfy your needs and then since you're not trying to fulfill your own needs you'll have so much more energy to um minister to other people and i and, and that seemed to be what was going on it seemed to be really true i seemed to um all that selfishness was falling away so i could kind of see it i was like okay i guess just like pursuing your own pleasure is kind of fucked up um at least you know in the context that i was in at the time so so i kind of got it but i just it was like a habit man i just kind of couldn't stop doing it um and it was starting to kind of draw draw drive a wedge between myself and the lord and i didn't like that at all But I found myself going on this retreat with them. I, I, I don't know, they call them retreats, but basically um, you would go to a camp or something and you would have time to just like have fun and fuck around with your friends and then also sing some songs um, and hear some intense preaching and stuff. And so I had the most amazing time on this retreat i was just filled with the spirit like i had never been before um you know just just like same things i had been experiencing but like constant and um i felt so close to my brothers and sisters in christ i remember um I, I just yeah it was just really sweet with them and there were these um these there were these girls from out of town that had come for this thing and uh I held hands with one of them on the way I never I had never like touched a, a girl before you know we held hands in the youth group van on the way home um that might be that ride home might have been the best moment the best experience of my life just feeling so close to all these people and uh filled with this presence of the lord and like holding this sweet you know this sweet soft girl hand with her her head on my shoulder i think if i had to you know, live, live one hour on loop from my life, um, for eternity, that's probably the one I would pick. But, uh, one of the, one of the things that happened on that trip was there was, um, we had this guest preacher and, um, he did this big talk about how, um, you know, we want to be fully committed to the Lord. And he asked us if there was something that was keeping us 
from the Lord, if there was anything like that, anything in our lives um, that was driving a wedge. And of course I knew. Of course I was like, yes, yes, there is something. Um, I know exactly what it is. It's jerking off. And so he asked us if there was something like that um, to to write it down on a little piece of paper. And we would just uh, walk up and they, they, they had like a cross or something. And we would just lay just lay the thing down at the at the cross um surrender it to god and so of course i eagerly wrote you know jerking off on a piece of paper and uh walked it up and you know i think i you know you know you know how these things are we were a bit showy about it i think i probably knelt down and um was like prostate for prostate pro pronate i don't know um yeah i I laid down for for a second there at the foot of the cross and then left my left my jerking off paper there and i was like okay i'm done then i'm done i'll never do that again um that's over with and now i can be filled with the spirit all the time so get home a couple couple days goes by the thing is like i was a 15 year old kid i mean i was at the time i mean i I had a whole method for hiding my boners and stuff i was just getting boners constantly i wouldn't even be thinking about anything sexual i would just be you know sitting there in class uh thinking about anything and i would just i would just get a, a massive heart on um and and so, you know, I'm this, I'm this really horny kid, and I remember uh, my family or my my mom and um, Alan or her her boyfriend, future husband, uh, and and Ryan and I we sat and we watched this movie, and it was just it was just some you know two thousands comedy, but there was like a hot actress in it and she played like 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 a role of like being like sort of the hot chick and everybody wanted to bang her and uh i wanted to bang her too and i was just so horny for this uh for this character and so i i had a dvd player in my room i think i I think i had like a desktop computer in my in my room at that house and so I, you know, later in the night, I stole down and down downstairs and, and grabbed the DVD and took it up there and, you know, watched the, the scene with the hot girl. Um, and I felt horrible. <laughs> you know, my heart is, is pounding, um... It feels like I'm fighting this really intense battle and I'm like praying to be delivered. But just like when I was a little kid, my hands, they would, you know, like they wouldn't stop going to my nose. Now they were just grabbing DVDs and touching my dick and I, I couldn't seem to stop them. They seemed to, to do, you know, just like when I was five and I was 
baffled. I don't know how to control these fucking hands. I couldn't control my fucking hands. And so I jerked off and I came and I felt so much shame and darkness and uh, I, I reached out to the Lord and I was like, I'm sorry. Will you come back to me? But he, he didn't he didn't come back, you know, I in the way that I had felt this electric blue light of joy filling my my body. Now I felt a thick black sludge equally as intense. Somehow I managed to get to sleep that night. But when I woke up, the black sludge was still there and I reached out to God again. I didn't hear anything. I think that was like a Monday. And I knew that youth group was on Wednesday. And so if I could make it to youth group, then... I knew I would be filled with the spirit then. I never I never wasn't filled with the spirit at youth group. So two days of enduring this sense of being filled with the thickest despair that I imagine like a human is built to like like a human body can produce or a mind a human mind body system can produce and I thought I've got two days should I kill myself that was it seemed like a really real question to me I don't I don't know if two days of this is tolerable. But it didn't. I didn't kill myself. And so I found myself there at the youth group again on Wednesday. And they sang their songs and I reached out to God and he didn't he didn't come back even the the magic of the youth group wasn't enough and weeks went on and I, I didn't feel any better but you know the one thing that would take my mind off of all this was jerking off you know i could go into this space of intensity and stimulus and pleasure and for a few minutes the 
feelings of loss and shame and sadness and exile would subside. But then I would I would come and get filled again with the black emptiness. And I would know that I had done it again. I had know whatever I had been praying to God, like, God, please, I'll, I'll just come back to me. I'll stop. I'll never do this again. I had lied again. So now I'm spending my days just begging and lying to the Lord. You know, the whole period where I was filled with the Spirit or, or, you know, I'm, I'm using these religious terms because they're, they're easy. Um, I know I've already been talking for an hour and a half, so we won't get into it now. But uh, later in life, I got really into um, meditation and, and some different, like, Eastern uh, spiritual practices and um, – begun to explore the energetic world um and so there and, and so i guess i just want to say there are other ways to understand these these kinds of phenomenon than uh than through the evangelical christian lens that feel to me, much, much more satisfying. Um, there's a much more robust understanding available. But, you know, in the lens that I was in at the time, um, or, or that I was seeing through at the time, it just looked like God had left me, and I was reading the Bible. You know, I, I was asking the the older Christians and the the pastor, like, what do I do? What do I do about this? And, you know, pray more, read the Bible more, um, tell people about God more, you know, witness, witness to people, be a servant. So I was trying very hard to do all those things. And um, so as, as I was reading the Bible obsessively, I came across this verse in Hebrews. Here's this is another one that I should pull up. Um, I don't know the verse uh, like numbers by heart, but let's see Hebrews. Let's see. I'm sure I can find it. Yeah. So Hebrews six four through six states. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. So... There it was. I had come close. I had 
I had known this God for, I don't know, all of this was like Halloween to Christmas. So sometime in November I had converted and really felt, you know, I had my mountaintop experience around the end of December and then maybe early January I had fallen away. So I had, for six weeks I had been in the in the throne room of the Lord, my life transformed. But I jerked off. <laughs> and I had been cast out. And that was what I, when I looked in my heart, the, the, the weight of the, the empty blackness was so heavy. I'll just read it again. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. I wonder, uh, I wonder what the next verse is. Can I get just Hebrews 6? I just want the whole chapter of Hebrews 6. Um, oh, yeah, yeah it, gets, yeah, it gets worse. Okay, so it's impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared uh, in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance to their loss they are crucifying the son of god all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace land that drinks in the rain often falling on it and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed receives the blessing of god but the but ah, but land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and in it as and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. <laughs> what the fuck, dude? I really believe that. And that's how we were looking at the Bible. It was just this, like, literally true thing. And so, like, there, there you have it. And I would tell people, like, I think this verse is like is about me. And like, no, no, Adam, it's not about you. But I, but my internal experience was that it it was about me. Um, and so I think that you know, if you are like a very believing evangelical, um, then I mean, I'm giving you the goods here. Like, if you want to write everything that I have to say off, then this is the verse that you can do that with. Um, this is how it's possible that that I know about the 
the Christian life and like the the feeling of being in relationship to God and um can can speak about it as an as an outsider because I've been I've been cut off um of course you know now uh, I don't think I don't think it works quite like that um like I said there are there's some alternative ways of seeing this thing you know I've had other you know mystical experiences not in the context of of Christianity and um you know we're we're animals our brains and bodies are involved in this whole thing and um there is something about like the release of energy that comes with um orgasm that just like changes the the system also it's probably impossible to stay in that um heightened sense of being filled for you know much longer like it was probably gonna die out anyway um there is a big conversation in the meditation community about um people who are prone to mystical experience and uh, bipolar disorder um, and and how they're not necessarily the same thing but they do seem to be related to each other and if you spend a lot of time in the high place like you can expect to spend a lot of time in the low place um, which is why well not why but uh, in in Buddhism, you know you're you're supposed to be cultivating this non-attachment. So when the high happens, you go oh high, you know. When the low happens, you go oh low. Um, so I think that if that is your interpretation. If you do think that, yeah, like you, you got it right when you were 15, Adam, like you jerked off and God cast you out of the kingdom. I think that that sounds like the most fucked up, negligent, shitty God ever. (laughs) I don't, I don't, it doesn't sound to me. Anything like the God that evangelicals are constantly preaching about. You know, this this lover. Who would be so fickle. So if that's it, if that is the interpretation that you want to run with on this your God's a piece of shit. <laughs> like, what can I, like, you believe in, uh, you know, just a, an angry child God. 
the the very God that I rejected when I was 12 based on, you know, the tiny bit of theology that I had, that's the God that you believe in. And so since I, I, I don't believe in a God like that, um, this, this verse doesn't, doesn't mean a whole lot to me anymore. Which is, which is a good thing. Um, but the point is, you know, I never, I never got it back. You know, from then on, uh, I was just trying very hard to reconnect with God, um, Bible and prayer and service and surrender. You know, I, I, I knew that you weren't supposed to be like striving to be filled uh, but I was so empty and sad and depressed. And how the fuck would I'm supposed to be like witnessing to people, telling them about how, um, you know, Christ has, has so much to offer them. You know, he's the living water, come and drink. But I don't feel, you know, I am just a wreck. <laughs> uh, I would carry my Bible around at school. That was another thing we were supposed to do. Um, and, but I, like, didn't want to talk to people about it, so I would, like, hide it. I would carry it, but then hide it. And I know one time this kid, Jace, came up to me. Um, he had been one of the theater kids, one of the kids that I was supposed to fucking end up being friends with before I ended up at the youth group. And he was just like, hey, I just want to know, why do you carry that thing around? And I was like, you know, um, well, it's so that... Uh, people might ask me about it and then I can tell them about Jesus. And he's like, oh, so you do it for attention then. Okay, that's what I thought. And he just walked away. Like, all I wanted, you know, I'm still, I was still the same kid that was just barely surviving my days at school. All I wanted was to get through them quietly, but I feel all this pressure that I'm supposed to be this this light. Oh my God, it was so fucking miserable uh like i said i i kept working at it i kept i kept trying to to be a christian for about 10 more years and then um when i was 25 i i finally was like you know this this isn't working <laughs> like this isn't I don't think I believe it anymore um we can talk more about you know so so this is supposed to be a podcast about deconstruction um we'll talk about what the actual deconstruction of the belief looks like but this has gone really long so I think that we're good for now Maybe I'll actually upload this. Uh, yeah, I hope to get better at, at podcasting. I hope to start writing things down before I, I do them. But I, I think that sometimes when it comes to the beginning of a creative project, you need to just throw yourself into it. Um, accept that there are going to be elements of it that are feeble and hope that the good part of whatever you have to offer will come forward 
um, or, or, or start to make itself apparent and you can kind of start to carve away the other stuff. Um, so if anyone like listened to this, uh, thank you. That's pretty cool. Like I said, probably you're a close friend. So <laughs> I don't know. Um, I feel like maybe all of that was weirdly intimate. But that's it. That's it. Uh, I apparently don't know when I'll be recording or what I'll have to say next time. But we'll do that next time. See, see you later. <laughs>